I like Duke at plus 154 to make the Sweet 16. Really, this is a fading of Tennessee. Tennessee is a team that not too long ago we expected to be on the one line. They have really fallen off. And Duke is a team that's on the rise. Welcome to Props and Hops, a podcast pursuing the best in betting and beer. I'm your host, Matt Landis, and today we're going to talk some bracket wisdom and some March Madness betting tips with Dr. Ed Fang. Ed literally wrote the book on how to win your March Madness pool. He's also the founder of the Power Rank and the author of the Power Rank weekly email newsletter. You can also find Ed as the host of the Football Analytics Show wherever you get your podcasts. And last but not least, Ed is a fellow connoisseur when it comes to craft beer and a good old-fashioned. He's also almost humble enough not to advertise that Stanford PhD of his, but glad we can put it to good use for the purposes of this conversation. Ed, if I'm tracking correctly, this is at least your third March Madness podcast that's going to be dropping today. So I will look to minimize overlap from previous conversations, maximize the value for this audience. I couldn't be more pumped to welcome you back to Props and Hops. Thanks so much for having me, Matt. Excited to talk uh, about my favorite sporting event every year. Yeah, you and a lot of people out there. Let's get into March Madness, and we will talk some betting, but I think leading off with pools would be great because that's what just about everybody's going to have going over these next couple of weeks. And as I touched on in that intro, you did write the book on how to win your March Madness pool. So what would you say are some of the top takeaways for those perhaps yet to read it or in need of a refresher at this time of year? For sure. You can actually read the whole thing if you sign up for my free email newsletter. You can check that out at thepowerrank.com. But, you know, it is about 10,000 words. You might not have time before you need to fill out your bracket this week. So let me just summarize the probably the main points. And I'm, I'm not going to tell you that you should use analytics. That should be pretty obvious if you're if you're listening to, to Matt's show here. But I think the one thing that gets less press that I think you really need to think about is pool size. It's it's much easier to win a pool with size of 10 than it is to win a pool of the size of 100. And the truth is simply that your your probability of winning your pool goes down exponentially with every additional person in there. Um, every additional person means someone else can get lucky and, and, and pick that Final Four team that no one else had. So you just want to avoid that uh tend to get into you want to get into smaller pools uh that's the best idea the easiest thing is to find something with you know like 10 people pick mostly chalk and uh you should be well on your way to to winning that pool so definitely think about pool size uh and then we can talk a little bit about you know you know for the smallest pools you need to think about you know your most chalky strategy if it tends to be an intermediate size uh that's when you need to think a little bit contrarian uh and that's pretty much the meat of my book. Um, and that, and that's in chapter three. So, uh, if you get that, you know, your win probability decreases very quickly, then, then you can kind of go straight to chapter three and four. 
There we go. And if we were to write a new chapter for 2023, I'm getting the sense that this year's tournament field is about as wide open as we've seen in recent memory. And Ed, if that's a fair assumption, I know you talked about going chalky if you're in a smaller pool with about 10 people, but without really clear chalk in this field, how would you recommend that people optimize their bracket strategies accordingly in a year like this versus previous years where perhaps we've seen some more clear favorites from the outset? For sure. I, I do think there are favorites in this tournament. I think Alabama and Houston are the favorites. It's just that their magnitude of winning this thing is, I, I mean, probably less than the one-third that Gonzaga had last year, less than the one-third that Duke had in 2019. So there are favorites, but it, it's they're just not as dominant teams. And then you have um, you know a whole bunch of teams uh, that could potentially – you know, come through threes and four seeds that could come through. And I, I really think I have the talent uh, to win it all. So March is going to be a little bit more mad than usual. There is a lot of parody in college basketball. You can kind of think about it in two ways. I mean, you know, just think about like the top end talent, right? When you look at NBA mock drafts, uh, there's, there's the Victor guy from France that's going to be the top pick. And the number two pick is, uh, is a G league guy. And, you know, that hasn't been the case in the past couple of years, right? We've had a lot of like top prospects like Chet Holmgren from Gonzaga the last year, Paulo Banchero. Um, that led to better teams, right? I, I just don't think there is like the high end NBA talent um, as much this year. I think that's one thing. I mean, obviously, Brandon Miller at Alabama is, is, a, is a superstar and I, I think one of the best players in the tournament. And, and there's certainly others as well. Um, but yeah, there, there's not as much high-end talent. I think that's one thing. And then the other thing that makes this tournament really complicated is injuries and, and situations, the most recent of which is Marcus Sasser at Houston. Uh, strained his groin, did not play in the conference championship game, and Houston ended up losing to Memphis. And so all of a sudden, Houston's down a little bit. Uh, you have injuries to Zakai Ziegler at Tennessee, their point guard, very important player. Uh, Jalen Clark at UCLA, a very important two-way player. Things like Bill Self, like not coaching in the conference championship game for Kansas. You know, is he going to come back? How did that, how, you know, how does that affect his team? I will tell you that Kansas looked terrible against Texas in um, the Big 12 championship game. So a lot of those factors as well uh, that are just kind of leading to the parity that I see in this field. And when it comes to people looking to sift through all the parity in this field, there's a helpful resource over at thepowerrank.com that I will link to in these show notes for those listening in podcast form, an interactive visual with tournament win probabilities that people can go through as a guide when they're filling out their brackets. And Ed, I'm going to use that to ask you teams that you're higher on or lower on than the market at this stage. But first off, just if people are new to this and they're wondering what makes it such a good tool, how would you describe the methodology that powers your interactive visual over at thepowerrank.com? Well, the analytics is is simply my college basketball rankings. You, you have rankings for all teams, and then that leads to a point spread, which leads to win probability. And that, of course, leads to the, the probabilities you see on the visual. Perhaps the more interesting thing is how it's displayed. It looks like a wheel. It doesn't look like any bracket that you've seen before. And the reason for that is because I asked my friend Angie a long time ago. This is like over a decade now. I asked her to visualize this data. And Angie does not follow sports. I don't think she's ever filled out an NCAA tournament bracket. So she had never really seen kind of the square structure that most of 
the brackets come in. So she's like, oh, well, I'll just make it into a circle. And that insight is, has been great. I think it's really, it's a really nice visual. It's a really nice way of presenting the data. It's a little bit annoying to like crane your head either way to, uh, to look at all the numbers, but, uh, it's been a really popular part of the site. It's really helped me kind of stand out a little bit with March madness, especially when I was first getting into it, you know, over a decade ago. Yeah, I like that wheel look, and I had never actually balked at the fact that it's not a bracket. I feel like if we knew with a high degree of certainty how everything was going to play out, then maybe the bracket makes more sense to follow everything sequentially. But with the wheel, if you change one option, you can see how it affects kind of everything else and dots that connect kind of can show percentages going in vastly different directions as you interact with the tool. So I'd really highly recommend that anybody who is considering this to fuel any bracket decisions would definitely go ahead and do so. And Ed, before people jump in, if they haven't already, I definitely do want to see um, any teams that you are higher on or lower on relative to market expectation. And I guess I'll leave it to you to define whether market expectation could be looked at through the lens of how teams are seeded or anything you've seen with futures prices or initial point spreads for the first round of the tournament. Yeah, that's a great question. Houston is is the first team that comes to mind because uh you know my numbers are actually a little bit lower on houston which is surprising because they've been the top team for most of the year uh they came down a little bit because of some stumbles towards the end of their conference tournament and and alabama just just steamrolled through the sec uh which was very impressive because it's been a very good conference uh over the course of the year so my numbers are a little bit lower than the markets i think the markets have this one right they're plus 500 most places which is about a 15 percent break even probability i think their chance is that that's roughly what it should be um so my numbers a little bit lower on houston but the markets are higher uh and i think that you know, that reflects some certainty that, that Marcus Sasser is going to be back. Probably their best player. Uh, he uh, did not play in the championship game uh, against Memphis in which they lost. He's going to be back. And honestly, if I were Kelvin Sampson, I would hold him out of the the, the first game against the 16 just, just as a precaution. That's probably not going to happen because the kid's obviously going to want to play in an NCAA tournament game. Um, so anyways, I think the Marcus have Houston right uh in terms of a team uh that that should be should be one of the co-favorites along with alabama um and then you know maybe another team that i think the numbers have a little bit higher uh than the markets right now is, is gonzaga this is a really talented team kind of an off year they've really been one of the top teams in the nation over the last two seasons um and uh they're not this year they're actually a three seed out in the west and but but the numbers really do like them a lot of that's driven by their offense they have the best offense in the nation when i look at adjusted points per possession they can really put the ball in the basket um they don't really play defense so that's a problem <laughs> that side of the ball is not as good as it's been on uh in previous years but still a really really dangerous team uh that that could get through through the west i think the, my numbers are uh, a little bit higher on gonzaga than, than the markets and when it comes to maybe the other side of that coin, if you're a little bit higher on Gonzaga than the market, any noteworthy teams that you think could be pretty trendy as people fill out their brackets or play some bets where you would say you're perhaps lower on than the market? Uh, lower on. 
You mean in terms of spread bets, or are we talking about chance to win it all, or is there is there anything in? I'll leave it open ended to you. I know you touched on Houston. Your numbers are lower, but you even kind of qualified it as agreeing more or less with where the market has them priced. Is there a team that you'd think is just you know overseeded, or you've seen a point spread that jumps out as being too high? Anything where you think people would be wise to perhaps zig where the market seems to be zagging, backing a big team right now? Certainly, that wouldn't be Gonzaga after sure. you just said that. That's a team you're actually a bit higher on. Yeah, I mean, I think the market's probably a little bit higher on Purdue. I think this this team's been overrated all season. They were not in the preseason AP Top 25, which seems like a kind of weird thing to say in March. But the preseason poll is actually a pretty strong predictor of uh, postseason results. Uh, it's because of the wisdom of crowds. No one sports writer submits a perfect ballot. But when you combine a bunch of them together, it's actually a pretty good estimate of team strength. Um Purdue was not in the top 25 at the beginning of the season. They've had a great season. Zach Eady's been fantastic, and he's a load in the middle at seven foot four. Uh, but I just don't see a lot of talent that surrounds him. Uh, they kind of slid a little bit in in February, March, early March. And then they won, and I kind of forgot about him. I'd kind of been talking about how Purdue was overrated, and I could see them fall, falling in some of my best numbers. Um, and then they won the Big Ten tournament, and I still wasn't impressed because they managed to dock the next five teams by my metrics. They didn't have to play a single one of them. And then I wake up on Sunday after the selection show. I'm like, oh, well, they're on the one seed, so I guess I should address this. <laughs> but um, so Purdue, yeah, I, I, I just think they're a little bit overrated. Um, I'm looking – I have been looking to fade them. I'm still looking to fade them. Um, and uh, – they're, they're probably a little bit worse than the markets have them at. When it comes to Purdue right now, I am seeing a lot of parallels, at least at face value from my perspective, to the 2019 Virginia team that won it all in the sense that there seems to be this number one seed that everybody seems to be looking to fade. And I know in Virginia's case, it was because they had made history the prior year being the only one seed to lose to a 16 in the first round. And right. to your credit, you were high on that team. And you were part of the reason that I want to pull in 2019, putting Virginia in as my champion. Nice. But when it comes to Purdue in this case, I get the reasons you outlined for looking to fade them. But at the same time, you know, if they're a one seed, you talked about the wisdom of the crowd. If they are indeed a one seed yet, everybody seems to be looking to fade them. Is there anywhere that that could still present betting value or is there a chance that if so much of the market is looking the same way, um, you know, maybe that's going to be a tough task if somebody's looking to find true value on the betting boards? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I will say like that Virginia team was stellar when you look at their numbers, offensive and defense of efficiencies. This Purdue team is not nearly in the same category as that team. So that would kind of be my warning there. All right, and one more follow-up. When you singled out Purdue, you talked about looking at the preseason top 25, embracing that wisdom of the crowd approach. And I found that so interesting because you're also so analytically savvy and something like a preseason top 25 poll by people who are very much not analytics-driven in large part. It seems like one of the you know 
biggest 180s that I, I could hear from somebody who is otherwise very much a proponent of the analytics. So I think a little bit of conversations I've had with Las Vegas, Chris, about the NFL were with a lot of advanced metrics, and he uses a lot of metrics in his models, but certain metrics that really rely on human judgment, he just feels like if he's giving too much credence to those, then he could be inadvertently compounding human error that's very much, you know, part of the process behind things like, you know, what's a catchable pass or, uh, you know, what's a... Right. What's a pass block win versus a pass block loss? Like there are some fringe cases where human judgment can really swing things in a big way. When we're talking AP preseason top 25, um, I know there are a lot of people involved in this. So I know that you stand on the side of embracing that wisdom of the crowd approach. But do you give any thought to the fact that, um, you know, for any one or two or, or, you know, maybe the majority of people filling these out, they're probably not taking the most scientific approach to that preseason poll? I don't worry about it too much. I, I, I feel like the older I get in the betting world, the the more I come to appreciate the people that aren't necessarily quantitative, the people that are more information-based. I think there's a lot of value there. And obviously the best thing is to, to combine everything, to use a wide variety of sources. For me, the preseason AP poll is just a wide, it's just another source. And and I feel like it's a source that tends to be somewhat orthogonal to the, to the other sources. And it gives you some diversity uh, when you're trying to do your analysis. So again, and a couple other things. I mean, I think one thing is, you know, I've, I've tracked how well that the preseason AP poll does in terms of uh, predicting who wins in the tournament. And it does just pretty shockingly well. Like um, if I remember correctly, it does. Uh, I mean, the rate is about, about the same as, as, as what, like just like my team rankings that take margin of victory and adjust for strength of schedule. I think it's in the same ballpark, which is kind of shocking, right? It, it shouldn't be in the same ballpark because it has no information from, from the current season, uh, but it still does pretty well. So analytics does play a role, right? Cause you're checking the accuracy first before you uh, use this as a, as a real tool. All right. Point taken. And when it comes to using that predictive power to see who's going to win it all, want a couple of, Quick predictions for you while we're still talking about the March Madness pool strategy. If we're to think of one of the small pools you mentioned, the ideal size around 10 people, we don't have to get too contrarian. What would you say is your prediction for a final four now that the brackets are out and a champion that you would pick to cut the nets down at the end of the day? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you get Alabama out of the South and they're 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 going to be your champion. I mean, in the, in the numbers that I trust the most, they're, they're at the top now um, out of the East. <laughs> so this is, this is, this is something where like, if you kind of go through the numbers and you pick the higher ranked team in every game, uh, Purdue still ends up in your final four. I, I, I really don't think we're going to see Purdue there. Um, but if you, if you kind of trust the numbers, you, you would put Purdue there. I'm, I'm not necessarily condoning that. Uh, in the Midwest, you you have Houston coming out of there. They're definitely the favorite. Uh, the West is is kind of wild. Um, so uh, there, I would actually have Gonzaga coming out of there as a three seed over over the one seed Kansas. And then, um, I, yeah, Alabama and Houston in the final. And you can – I think they're pretty close. Um, I think you can really pick either one. I think if we get to the point where both teams are healthy and they actually play in that game, I wouldn't be shocked. I mean, my numbers right now would say Alabama would be a slight favorite. I wouldn't be shocked if we got to that point and Houston was a slight favorite. 
So flip a coin, take a pick. All right. And when it comes to flipping coins, if people are in bigger pools, again, nothing more than a hundred has been your rule of thumb, but you know, well over 10 where you do need to get contrarian to find some edges. Are there any teams maybe that you don't expect to go to the final four or win the title, but that you think, you know, in the earlier stages of the bracket, it would make sense for people to give more weight to, to differentiate themselves from others who might share their championship picks. Yeah, I did some research on that one year and and I found like it it didn't really change your win probability to pick a contrarian final four team. Uh it could have been the specific circumstances of that year. I mean, it sure it certainly does add some diversity, but when you think about, you know, in common pools like your champions worth 32 and your final four team is worth uh 8. Um it, it's just the it's just a lot less. So one choice there usually doesn't flip things as much i usually recommend that you just go with what the numbers say uh not necessarily chalk but like you know what the numbers have um i mean i guess if you want to put the time to 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 think that through and dig a little bit deeper like you're betting on a game sure go for it but um i mean you know when i fill out pulls i personally don't do that i i stick with with what i want as the champion because that's the biggest choice all right. Well, you touched on something that can be a good segue to betting the tournament, not just filling out brackets, but for those of us who will also be betting on some point spreads or totals along the way. Are there any games currently on the board right now for round one where you might see some value on either the spread or the total? Yeah, no games, but I, I did want to offer a sweet 16 bet that I think is interesting. Uh, I like Duke at plus 154 to make the sweet 16 uh, my probability is closer to, to 50 percent than that really this is a, a fading of tennessee tennessee is a team that not too long ago we expected to be on the one line they have really fallen off zakai ziggler the point guard is hurt he's out for the year uh that hasn't helped they, they just haven't played that well recently as well uh it doesn't look like their defense is they're a really good defensive team but uh it seems like that fell off a little bit in the sec tournament and duke is a team that's on the rise uh you know it's it's a team under first year coach has a lot of talent still has that veteran in jeremy roach that that played uh in that final four last year so um numbers and kind of fading the idea of fading a tennessee team is why i like uh duke plus 154 i just bet that at FanDuel. I like it. As you mentioned, the fact that Duke is surging under a first-year head coach, it reminds me a bit of something that the late, great David Malinsky would often bring up in college football entering bowl season, where we look at rosters and players would be, you know, freshmen in the media guide, but by the time they've got 12 games under their belts, plus an extra few weeks of practice, they might as well be a sophomore come the bowl game day. In a case like Duke's Yes, a first-year head coach, but they figured a lot of things out. They seem to be perhaps peaking at the right time. Are there any other factors that you consider along those lines when we're in the tournament, advancing round to round, when it comes to adjusting ratings for your team over the course of the tournament? Anything that you find to be you know, pretty underrated that you've uncovered value in over the years, or if there's anything overrated across a lot of the mainstream talking points that you actually don't think have that much credence when it comes to how to bet these point spreads or totals? Well, I, I, I think that there's one model that I, I usually run two models uh, for college basketball. And one tends to be more aggressive in changing teams, reacting to how they've played more recently. Tennessee is an example of that, of how they've dropped in that more aggressive model. 
And then uh, there's a less aggressive model that's more concerned with season-long totals. That type of model is going to have Tennessee a lot higher than the more aggressive model. Uh, I've actually found that the the more aggressive model has been performing really well, uh, better than the other one. Uh, so particularly this season. And I think that's uh, part of the nature of just a chaotic tournament where, you know, like you were saying, teams like Duke have, have been rising because they've started to play better. And as some of these freshmen um, uh, are no longer freshmen, right? Uh, a team like Tennessee that's dealing with injuries, a team like UCLA that's dealing with injuries. Uh, I think that model is kind of capturing more of the current state of the team. So I, I like what's what's going on there. So I've just noticed that that type of model over the course of college basketball has been really good this year. And uh, so that's, you know, that's what I'm using to, to bet spreads. And, and that's what members of my site are using as well. And I think we can also use some of your insight when it comes to prop betting. As you've said elsewhere, the full game point spreads, once we get to March Madness, are about as efficient as it gets. We're not talking about maybe softer lines November, December, when everybody else, like myself, is laser focused on the NFL. So maybe if we broaden the attack surface and look toward the prop menus, we can find some value. There's one Mm -hmm. thing I know you're prepared to speak to that's actionable right now. First, I want to run by you a notion of early game variance and whether that's properly priced. And to give some context, as I think about recent years, I I feel like some of the most value I can recall spotting would be things like first team to 10 or 15 or 20 points. Some books will offer all of those thresholds. Some might just offer first to 15. Um, I feel like it's not uncommon for significantly lower seeds to at least early on hang with a team. I see a bit of a parallel perhaps to the Mayweather-McGregor fight years ago where you know, after the first couple of rounds, there's a moment for all the Mayweather betters thinking, okay, McGregor's actually looking all right. Um, are we in some trouble here? And then as the fight progressed, it was clear that Mayweather seemed to be just getting a read on his opponent and took care of business at the end of the day. And, and I feel like in the tournament, we often see that in first halves. I don't know if heavy favorites are a bit complacent or to your point, you know, maybe there's a marquee team like Houston getting a star player back, but they don't need to give him his full usual allotment of minutes so we might not get a team's a effort right out of the gates do you ever spot angles where props like first 10 to 15 or 20 points might be valuable especially with a team like kansas state which you said on twitter earlier today as we record this monday march 13th is way way overseeded if i'm quoting you correctly a team like montana state probably not going to win the game but if they're taking on an overseeded team then would you look for some of those you know, teams with a higher number next to their seeding to be the first in a matchup to get to 10, 15 or 20 points. If that early game variance is not being properly accounted for. I personally haven't looked into early game variance. I I personally haven't betted too much because I'm usually exhausted by Thursday when these, these games start. So uh, I'm usually trying to enjoy myself by then. Um, So I can't really speak too much if, if, if there's value there. Um, So I'm sorry about that. Yeah, that, that is perfectly okay because there is an angle that we were talking about right before we hit record that I do think we can agree there's some value on. And it's a it's a bit of a bridge jumper bet, but I like the way you're thinking and I'd love it if you could go ahead and outline the thought process here for one good prop before the tournament tips off. For sure. I was just flipping through DraftKings, well, you know, as 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 you were uh coming coming on and uh they have uh, a bet about whether a 16 seed will win. And the no is minus a thousand. Uh, I did a quick bit of math. Um, 
you know, two of the one seeds have about a 99% chance to win. Uh, one of them has uh, about a 97% chance to win. I think that's low. I think these all should be like 98, 99%. And so that gives about a 94% chance that all four one seeds are going to win. And then, you know, minus a thousand is about 91%. So I do think there, there is some value there. Uh, these one seeds are, are very good basketball teams and they're playing, you know, teams that made the tournament, but um, are not necessarily particularly strong. So, I don't really want to use the past history, you know, that only one 16 has, has ever beaten a one. Um, I'm not sure that's too relevant here, but if you just kind of run the numbers, th there is a little bit of value there. So, so uh, yeah, you can get that at DraftKings. I don't know how that's going to move by the time this, this goes on, but you do have to lay a lot to win a little, but it's probably a good bet. There's definitely Yeah, I know, I know people are often afraid of the concept of risking a lot to win a little, but sometimes – those are the most valuable bets we can find. And I sure. think that, it, again, 10 to 1 can seem scary. But if you look at that delta in true probability being in the range of 94% to break even probability being 91%, I mean, if we're talking about a three percentage point difference when it comes to betting NFL point spreads, that's massive. If you had something that you knew sure. was, you know, instead of a coin flip, you're looking at a 53% edge you're profitable laying minus 110 in that matchup. So I think that's exactly the kind of edge that would behoove a lot of betters to look for. So I'll see if I can uh, maybe get a bit creative and get down on that for myself between now and the tournament tipping off. Ed, I know a lot yeah, more well, betters. That, the, the, one, the one problem I do have with that bet is that if the 16 is in contention to beat a one, then you're that guy in the sports bar that's rapidly cheering for the one seed to pull it off. That could be a little awkward, could be a little weird. Sometimes, sometimes you have to uh, be comfortable with a little awkwardness to find value, I guess. Yeah, I, I guess it's our version of playing the don't pass line on craps. But, right. you know, sometimes if there's an edge to be had, then, you know, some people are going to be mercenaries about it. And I, I can't always fault that notion, even though the craps table, I, I probably will go ahead and stick with the pass line to be more sociable. And I think that more than people interested in laying 10 to one on a bet, people will be looking at the futures market as well between now and the tournament getting underway. And I'm wondering if in the futures market, you've even given any consideration to any teams that might show some value by your numbers. Yeah, I, I grabbed Houston eight to one a while ago. So pretty happy with that because they're five to one now. I mean, I want to bet Gonzaga 15 to one, but I'm just so mad that I didn't get Gonzaga 20 to one. And that probably shouldn't affect my thinking, but I haven't done it yet. There's probably some value there. There's obviously not as much value as there used to be. Um, yeah, I, uh, I had Duke 17 to one last year and then they made it to the final four and we were at the Circa for bet bash. Yeah. That and, was stadium swim night. Yeah. That was stadium swim night. And I hedged out of it and I hedged out of it, you know, um, still wanting Duke to, to win it all. Right. So I would have obviously gained a lot more had I had Duke won the entire thing, but North Carolina won. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, you know, that worked out. I mean, I made a little bit of money off of it. can't complain, but sometimes it's fun to have a, a couple of futures in there. When you talk about hedging out of that Duke future, I think from a process standpoint, a lot of betters I've spoken with over the years have said they'll essentially hedge in two cases. One, if there's life-changing money at stake, or two, 
if the other side, the quote unquote hedge bet has standalone value in and of itself. Were either of those two factors the reason behind your hedge out of Duke or was it uh, more simply just to lock in some sort of a profit based on the equity that you had accumulated with that initial ticket? Yeah, I think it was the lock in a little bit of little bit of equity. I'm a, I'm a little bit more conservative than some of the other uh, some of the other sports betters, you know that. So, um, yeah, it was it was nice to lock in a profit. Yeah, I can't fault that notion at all. I didn't have that futures bet, and I did not profit on that game because I also had a vested rooting interest in Duke. So I remember uh, rooting in the wrong side of that one with you in the VIP section at Stadium Swim. At least we got a memorable experience out of it, and you did get yeah. that little bit of profit. And right now, I, I do want to also give a hat tip to a friend of the show, Mike Roselli, host of the Doggy Juice podcast. He, among plenty of others, talk about not just looking at the futures market, but money line rollovers at this stage, where you can often get better odds with less VIG typically baked into money lines than futures, as well as the ability to shop for the best line between rounds. And then also the element of a ripcord, as I like to think of it, where you can take the money and run if the team that you're looking to back suffers an injury or they just get, you know, two or three rounds in, there's a matchup that you really don't like that you didn't think was too plausible previous to that taking shape. Do you have any approach if you're looking at the futures market right now, how much you look at those pure future sections of sports books versus how inclined you might be just to go ahead at this stage, knowing the path for each team, considering the money line rollover approach. I mean, I really should uh, consider the money line rollover approach simply because there's there's kind of a shockingly big vig for these outright markets. Uh, they, they really really should be smaller. Maybe maybe I need to check again, but it it, it seems like seems like a pretty large vig. So uh, probably something I I should consider. Maybe maybe I'll maybe I'll roll over Gonzaga money line until until I can't anymore. <laughs> There we go. Yeah, you, you might have missed the 20 to 1 in the futures market, but if it's 15 to 1 in the futures, then again, it all depends on their path. But in what a lot of people are calling the region of death, if Gonzaga gets out of that unscathed, then you might be looking at better than 20 to 1. Yeah, for sure. But then they're probably going to have to face Houston and that that's not going to be easy. So it it's never easy. And it is, yeah. Uh, yeah, the West is just just insane. Yeah, and of course, if they do make it to Houston and you feel uneasy, you've also got the ripcord in that money line rollover that you don't have in a futures ticket. So there, there are many ways to play it. I appreciate your thoughts on different potential plans of attack. And Ed, I, I know that we discussed trying to keep this to half an hour and we've already surpassed that mark. I've got to ask you briefly about go. the MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference because I know that you were just there. Curious for your top takeaways at this year's Sloan Conference. Well, I didn't actually go to the conference because this was the first time that I didn't have a ticket. It was still a great experience. Got to hang out with uh, a lot of people that I hold near and dear to my heart, uh, like Mike Craig and Spanky and, and Chris Bruno. Uh, so yeah, it, it was great kind of uh, uh, hanging out with those guys, make sure everything's okay. Uh, so yeah, I guess not a ton of analytics. So it was, it, it was kind of, the this whole notion that i wanted to see those guys so i'll go to boston because they're going to be there and what's interesting is i don't think any of us would have gone if bet bash were final four weekend mm -hmm. because we would see each other in about two weeks but it's not bet bash is in august now so we all decided to go to boston but it was fun uh you know i had a lot of good uh interactions with a lot of other people like people at the conference that you know just ended up being at the bar 
outside of there. So overall, a great experience. And of course, the beer in Boston is is great. Absolutely. And I'm going to ask you about the beer in Boston, but you kind of teed me up uh, without me even having to show you too much of a rundown. When it comes to Bet Bash later this year, Sloan, those are kind of the two kings of the castle when it comes to sports betting conferences. What would you say is one thing that you would like to see each of those conferences adopt from the other? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I think, I don't know. The panels just kind of suck at Sloan. So there's kind of like no reason to go. Like even when I did get a ticket, I would just kind of roam the halls and uh, try to have, try to bump into people and, and strike up conversations. I think uh, Bet Bash has done, done better with some of the, uh, yeah, with some of the panels in terms of, of interest. I don't know. They're, 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 they're both good. Um, I, I think they're both. Yeah. I mean, they're both really awesome events to meet people and to, to renew relationships and, and things like that. So um, yeah, I mean, I highly recommend going to both. Yeah. And while I put you on the spot a bit there, certainly didn't mean to present a false dichotomy Sloan being earlier in the year in Boston, bet bash being now in the summer in Vegas. It's not an either or equation for those who can afford oh, sure. again, if not even to buy a conference pass, just to be in the general vicinity when these events are taking place to strike up some of those interactions and Ed, based on our text message exchange, you alluded to it a moment ago. I'm guessing you had some pretty phenomenal beer while you were in Boston. Weaving in the hops segment of this show, what would you say was the best beer from your recent trip to Boston? Yeah, I, I would definitely have to say the the Substance IPA from Bissell, Bissell Brothers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was very happy that uh, I texted you a picture of that so that I could actually remember the name. I'm not <laughs> particularly good with names of beer. So so that was that was pretty cool. That uh, that was it was it was phenomenal. Uh, uh, lunch from Maine Brewing Company is is one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. I think it is just a phenomenal beer. It was actually not at a couple of the places that we went to, but then we were sitting around at Encore, the sports book at Encore, which is the you know the, the a huge new casino there that just opened up. There's a Win Sports Book there, and they happened to have lunch from Maine, so that was phenomenal. I was like that that made me pretty happy. And I would actually rate both of those beers ahead of any of the Trilliums that i had i think trillium is a good beer um i i would i prefer substance and lunch over the trilliums i had yeah i was gonna have to ask about that because trillium is a powerhouse brewery right there in Mm -hmm. boston with a few locations now if i understand correctly but with both bissell and maine beer co you're talking portland maine so maybe we've got to see if we can get a satellite sports betting conference you know just a little bit farther north in new england because if you're in portland maine you've got bissell you've got uh, Maine Brewing Coat. There are a lot of good options right there as well. Of course, Boston has a phenomenal beer scene in its own right. And one that isn't right in Boston, but if you ever have a chance to make the pilgrimage treehouse, if you had about yeah. half an hour outside of Boston, that is the Mecca. It, it's a bucket list trip. I haven't made it yet, but by all indications, that's pretty much the pinnacle of the craft beer scene for those into the New England slash hazy IPA style. Treehouse is amazing. I've had one 16 ounce can. It was an experience. Mike and I talked about making the trip, but it just didn't happen. Like it's like an hour all the way out there. Mm. I think you're like, li- like something like you're limited to pours when you get there and then you, you can buy cans or something. Um, so we didn't get a chance to make it out there. 
uh and and i like you would 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 like to would like to make it out there sometime you should have like a, a landis fest of beer <laughs> a props and hops fest in in new england yeah, I, I think we fun. pretty much had something similar to that while watching the national championship game yeah, uh, up top sure. at the Circus Sportsbook, just kind of bringing in my own beer. But yeah, a dedicated event to something like that definitely has the makings of a future Props and Hops episode. So I will give it some good consideration, especially now that we're in the NFL offseason and there's more capacity to think about ideas like that. Ed, I also wanted to throw one more question your way weaving in the Malinsky minute to this podcast um, Mitch and Polly on Beeson do a great annual tribute to David Malinsky every year at this time as the college basketball betting cycle is coming to a peak Dave was on their show about five years ago and talked about his own process eating clean and exercising to stay alert and I think that he wasn't just eating clean and exercising for you know betting purposes, but well beyond that, to live life to the fullest. It was really impressive how he had habits to optimize his life for just about everything. I'm wondering, in your world, I'm one of many people just begging for some of your time as March Madness approaches. <laughs> what routine do you have to try to maximize edges, betting or otherwise, at this crazy time of the year? I don't know. I guess I just try to sleep. I don't know. If you're talking about these four days, it, it all gets a little bit crazy. It's a pretty intense time. This year, I've I've actually been rereading Siddhartha by Herman Hesse. And it's a book that uh, I, I, I'm big into meditation. It's a big part of my life. It's a big part of why I've been able to keep my sanity through work and, and family over the years. I've been rereading it. And that's actually it led to some really good meditation. Um, it's kind of... I don't know. I guess I can't really describe it. I mean, just just kind of uh, thinking about what Siddhartha goes through through the book, and um, yeah, there's 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 some deep stuff there. There's also some really dumb stuff there. He does too, which I never really noticed the first time when I read it. So uh, I don't have a ton of time. Like I usually read for more, but I, I've been I've been I don't know if it's going to happen today, but. I've been finding like 10 to 15 minutes over the last week to, to, to get into that. I think that's helped because it's helped my meditation, which, which has helped me stay calm. Um, so I guess that's, that's my tip. I love it. I feel like at a certain point, everything affects everything. You mentioned sleep right off the bat or reading anything that might seem like it's taking your mind off the betting boards and, and might be a distraction can really, I think, bring you a fresh perspective. Just overall, maybe it makes you feel like you're more well-rounded or, or just sharper or energized and that can directly then tie into things when you get back to it, whether it's the betting boards or filling out your bracket. So, Ed, you might have answered the question that I've heard you ask a lot of guests on your show over the years, the Football Analytics Show, to turn the tables on you. I don't know if I've ever heard you speak to this on your podcast. If you were going to be held in <laughs> captivity for a year, you could only bring one item, two rules, can't be an electronic device, has to fit within a standard backpack. What would you bring? I would uh, I'd bring a copy of Infinite Jest. So it's mm. a book that is, uh, I would actually call it like the most entertaining experience I've ever had. So that, I mean, that includes books, movies, uh, comedy specials. It's, uh, it's hilarious. And I've actually just cracked it open recently. Um, and then I stopped because even the second time through, it requires a lot of effort. And I don't really have that much effort uh, right now in March, but I'm a big fan of Infinite Jest by David Foster Wallace. It is over a thousand pages and 
the pages are huge and the font is tiny. So I think that would be something that I would want to help me pass the time. Um, it, it's something that I feel like I haven't gone through it more than once, but I feel like if you do, there, there's so many like things that kind of pop up that you didn't get the first time. And it's such a rich book, both in terms of ideas, uh, also in terms of humor. Uh, it's a book that makes you feel a lot of different emotions from hilarity to disgust to everything in between. Uh, so yeah, that, that would be my friend uh, if I were held in a captivity. Love it. Well, to bring it full circle, as you're describing that full cycle of emotions, it reminds me of Jimmy V's speech, bringing this back to college basketball, uh, his famous SB speech, where he talked about a full day. I think he said, if you have a full day, it means that you laughed, you were able to yeah. think, and you cried. Uh, maybe that full spectrum of emotions covered in something like Infinite Jest as well. Seemingly wholly unrelated to betting, but we can find some parallels in that world if we look enough. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I think... Speaking of the Jimmy V list, I used to have a list of things on my phone of like everything I wanted to do in a day. And it wasn't it wasn't quite as succinct as that, but it, it was something like, you know, meditate, like talk to my talk to each of my children individually, talk to my wife. I want to say that like laugh was in there somewhere. I used to have a list. I got I got to find it. I love it. Yeah, I, I've had a list on my phone, just things I've picked up on over the years. And maybe it should be something to aspire to each day, but it's just habits that I've gleaned from successful people based on conversations I've heard or things that I've read. And it's things like waking up early, uh, not getting you know any screen time in for the first 30 minutes to hour of a day, if you can help it, just trying to have that kind of white space to let your mind do its thing, getting in a good workout, getting outdoors, getting some natural sun exposure, not too much, but certainly some versus being stuck indoors all day, reading, you know, whether it's meditation or breath work, there are certain things that it can sound daunting at a certain point with such a long list. But a lot of these things can be done in five minutes or less. And I think just small habits like that have a really powerful way of compounding over time where day to day, you might not notice much of a difference. But if you start to do even a few of those things, not every day, but just a little bit more often, the impact that that can have over time can really become magnified. Absolutely. The, the compounding effect of meditation is, is huge. You're not going to, it's not going to change your life if you do it for one day, two days, even 10 days. But when, when you get to a couple years, it's, it's pretty remarkable. I love it. Well, I had no idea we would take this little detour over the final few minutes of our conversation, but I'm so glad we did. And again, while it may seem at face value to be wholly unrelated to March Madness brackets or betting the tournament, I do think that trying to be as well-rounded as possible in all areas of life, especially at this time of year when it seems like that's the last thing anybody's got time for. That's when it might be the most advantageous, not just to be a better, more fulfilled person, but to have some edges over the competition in our pools and in our bets in the days and weeks to come. So Ed, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show the third straight year. We've had a really good March Madness conversation for anybody in the audience who's not doing so already, you can follow Ed on Twitter at The Power Rank. Also check out his work at thepowerrank.com and you can find him as the host of the Football Analytics Show wherever you get your podcasts. Ed, once again, thank you for the time and insight. Is there anything I'm missing or anything else you'd like to add? Most of my best uh, insights in the tournament uh, have moved to the email newsletter. I, I used to do more on my podcast, um, but I feel like I can get more stuff on a daily frequency into my newsletter. Uh, so yeah, definitely check that out. It's at thepowerrank.com. Um, get, get my cheat sheet based on my points-based numbers this week. Uh, so that's, and that's 
the best place to, to kind of follow my work. Nice. I can say firsthand, I have benefited from it significantly in March Madness tournaments over the years. So I guess unless anybody listening happens to be in a pool with me, then definitely do go ahead and hit the powerrank.com and take advantage of some of these resources. Ed, thanks again to the audience. Thank you for tuning in. Enjoy the madness. And I'll catch you next week for another interview right back here on Props and Hops. Props and hops and props and-